we must act now to help countries prepare for that possibility. For all of these reasons, I'm declaring a public health emergency of international concern over the global outbreak of novel coronavirus. That, of course, was the World Health Organization last Thursday declaring coronavirus a global health emergency, the sixth such global health emergency since around 2009. And we're going to talk about that and other topics today. Welcome to our second and now monthly Gate 15 podcast. I'm Andy, Managing Director here at Gate 15. And once again, I'm fortunate to be joined by Dave Pounder, Gate 15's Director for Threat and Risk Analysis, and Jennifer Lynn Walker, the Director of Cyber Services. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. Nice to be here again, Andy. Yeah, thanks, guys. Well, uh, there's, there's certainly no lack of interesting topics as we get started today. But I want to start with something a little bit different than we usually talk about in the world of physical and cyber threats. And it's a topic that's been sort of all over the place in the news in, in good and bad ways. And that's discussing coronavirus. I'm going to refer to it uh, during our discussion today. I'm going to call it NCOV. And uh, just want to jump right into things. So we heard that recording that was last week. I think, you know, we've gone from sort of uh, confusion and, and maybe a little bit of alarmist overconcern to maybe the pendulum swing a little bit too far the other way. Just to pull a perspective on this, Dave, can you just put a little bit of background and context on what in the world are we even talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think they put it off as far as they could. I mean, the WHO, they, they tried to delay this as, as much as possible because I, I, I honestly don't believe that they wanted to cause an alarm. Um, but yeah, this is something that we started tracking uh, somewhere uh, in December timeframe, over the holidays, of course, when everyone else is doing everything related to the holidays and spending time with families. But we started seeing unusual cases of pneumonia. And if you really push it then further back and the, you know, the groups have come in there, the medical examiners and such have gone in there and really found, you know, the, the first reported case was back in the beginning part of December around the 8th. And then if you use, you know, I, I've been reading some of these things, and if you go back even further, you can find really the, the first test case was probably, the first exposure was sometime in October, end of October, early November timeframe. But yeah, we started seeing these things pop up and, and it just slowly started building and building. And there were concerns as more cases came off. And, and of course, Anytime when death is associated with an illness, then it starts ratcheting up the stress and the anxiety a little bit. So, you know, that started building and, and, and then there were questions about whether the Chinese were declaring everything that they should be declaring to, to the uh, global community. And, and as cases started populating up around the, around the world, you know, not just within Asia, but then you started seeing some within France and then the United States started reporting a couple you know, the panic level noticeably went up. So, I mean, that, that as a way of a background, that's kind of where we're at now. And I think the numbers now are really shot up over the last week or so. Yes, it's really been interesting. I mean, I'm looking at the, the live map that Johns Hopkins put out, which I think is a really great product. You know, 17,493 confirmed cases. We've got 11 of those here in the U.S. as of today, February 3rd. 362 deaths, right? So we've passed the number of deaths associated with this compared to SARS back in 2003, which was a pretty significant concern. To me, it seems like uh, there's a lot of excitement, I think, really last week leading up to the WHO's declaration. And then it's almost as if some folks started to say, hey, we've got nothing to worry about here in the U.S. And, and I feel like there's almost a 
maybe a lack of concern because it's been so prevalent in the news, you know, trending on social media all over the place. And it's sort of like, hey, now we've got the Iowa caucuses and this isn't a big deal. Is it something we should be concerned about? Is it something we should be panicked about? Is it something we should be even thinking about? Is this, is this, is this a non-story? Where do, you, where do you assess this, Dave? Well, here, I'll just put it in a little perspective. And again, you're right. I mean, there's oversaturation of the news. There's so much, you know, media coverage of this. It's hard to understand that this is not something to be concerned about. But if I could just put it in a small dose of perspective here as a helicopter flies over top of me, if you can't hear that. But when we compare that to something very similar, such as the flu, you know, regular influenza, I mean, we've had just this year alone, we've had upwards of millions of people infected. We've had over, uh, we're talking thousands of deaths. So according to the latest CDC estimates, it was about 10, at, at the low level, it was 10,000 people have died as a result of the flu. This is the highest, you know, number of, of uh, infections and, and, and deaths in the last 10 years. And we've been trending upwards with the flu. That's not being reported at all. Instead, we're talking about, and again, this is no, I don't want to minimize the people who have died as a result of this, but we're still talking of very low numbers in, in the terms of, um, of global impact. Now, there are concerns. The biggest concern is, and if you compare this to something that we talked about last year with measles and with Ebola in, in the Congo, the biggest thing when we talk about those were, um, were, were that the transportation hubs were not necessarily conducive enough to facilitate a rapid spread of, of, of this virus. And that's where this is so much different because China is such a big country because, you know, the lunar new year was occurring at the time because there were so many travelers around the holidays when infections were most likely occurring, this spread could occur and, and, and it could have impacts on businesses uh, and, and countries around the world, especially if it were to spike dramatically in the next couple of days or, or even within the next week. I think that's a great perspective. I think, you know, we, we talk about flu and I think it doesn't get a lot of attention because it's, it's the flu, right? As terrible as it is, we know what it is. We know how bad it is and what it isn't. It's sort of an under, un, un, understood threat. Whereas I think the, the difference here, and correct me if I'm, if I'm not looking at this the right way, but I think we don't fully know exactly what this is. And, and that's part of the concern, right? It's something like this. And a relatively new threat, something we think we understand symptomatically very much like traditional flu, a few differences, there's lots of you're reporting on, on some of those finite differences. But if it hits a higher risk population or continues to evolve into something more dangerous, or if there's associated impacts we don't fully understand yet because it hasn't been around that long, that could change the risk assessment. And because of its rapid spreading, potentially, I mean, it's already international, it's already global, but it, it could spread further. We, it could be something more serious than we than we understand it to be in this moment. So I feel like we go sort of from a, a freak out level to a I don't give a, a fig level pretty quickly. And, and that might not be the right way to look at it either, right? I think there's a legitimate level of concern and, and monitoring for folks like us that, that sort of watch these things and try and provide some perspective and guidance uh, on these threats. But it's not it's not pandemonium. Is that is that a pretty fair assessment? Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, what this really should call attention to is, hey, we need to take our health welfare pretty seriously now, especially in these high-risk months, you know, associated with generally with flu, even though flu could be year-round. 
Um, but this is very similar. I mean, if we just did things, such, you know, such as washing our hands and covering our mouths, we're, we're taking a large amount of prevention, preventative steps in helping our organizations, one, not only keep um, individuals at work and, and not out on sick, but should something else happen as a result, you know, say, uh, you know, malicious actors could use this uh, in a very bad way to either promulgate fear, to either target those who have been infected, to build upon that fear. And, and they, that's where I can kind of see like that secondary effect is being a little bit more than just the, the, the virus itself, because the virus is just, a, it, it's very similar to the flu. I think if we just took care of ourselves and our, our family members and coworkers, we'd be doing a lot. There, there's no magic pill for this one. This is, this is just basic preventative health. However, those side effects are going to be, could be potentially something we need to be alarmed for. But if an organization went down, some key leaders went down in an organization because they were out sick with this virus uh, or maybe in the hospital and, and a cyber attack were to occur on somebody I mean, uh, or on that organization, that could have damaging impacts. And, and I don't think that's something that's inconceivable. Well, you're, you're pointing to the direction I kind of wanted to go. So it's 2020, right? And, and, and bad people do bad things. So, Jen, bring things into your, your primary area of focus. Uh, we've got a real actual health threat, maybe not a catastrophic health threat for most healthy people that are conducting basic hygiene, but a legitimate health concern at the very least. But beyond the, the real health threat, there, there's a lot of other concerns, right? We've got disinformation. We've got uh, bad people doing bad things, using this for cover. Can you talk a little about the disinformation cybersecurity component of of NCOV, but really, I mean, something we see in, in all sorts of uh, high visibility stories like this. Sure, Andy. Um, I think that the takeaway isn't as much about the little, about the specifics of what we're seeing, but kind of both of you hit on it. It's the overarching idea that bad guys are predictable. And from a cyber perspective, when there's big news or trending news, whether it's about you know public health events or public health emergencies, natural disasters or current events, you can count on one thing, phishing scams, period. Um, bad guys are going to prey on our humanness, you know, specifically our emotions, mostly on our curiosity, our fear, our compassion. I mean, this is the art of social engineering, right? The manipulation of our human tendencies. Um, it's not technical, it's not complex. Con artists have been using social engineering to trick us since the dawn of time. Um, however, in light of current examples, um, current schemes, themes, whatever you wanna call them, some activity that we're seeing now, certainly there are the NCOV related lures. Um, also, uh, given that this is tax season, there are tax related themes. So a quick public service announcement on on that, this week is Tax Identity Theft Awareness Week. So look for resources from various agencies like the IRS, DHS, um, FTC, as well as the Identity Theft Resource Center regarding tax ID theft. But anyway, continuing with current activity, uh, most recently there are even some lures regarding the Trump impeachment proceedings. And I would like to make a note, um, there were some advisories uh, to be on the lookout for themes regarding the accident that claimed Kobe Bryant's life last week, but I have not seen anything confirming any actual scams. Um, you two may, may have found something that I didn't, but that is certainly an example of a topic or an event that would typically rise to that level of increasing vigilance as it preys on our curiosity and compassion. Um, but like I opened with, uh, bad guys are predictable. 
And it's not so much about the specifics of what we're seeing with each scam or each campaign, because at the end of the day, this rabbit trail um, pretty much is the same. This these typical phishing emails aim to trick potential victims, you know, by using these, you know, maybe this disinformation or these more, more I don't know is it, it's much about disinformation as sensationalized um, uh, topics and lures and subjects. Um, but uh, you know, they aim to trick these potential victims into either clicking a malicious link in a message or opening an attached uh, document that downloads a malicious file, both actions of which could lead to things like a credential phishing page or infect devices with malware, including, you know, ransomware. But using NCOV as an example, um, specifically some activity observed includes emails that are actually impersonating the CDC as well as virologists um, and the theme is warning of new infection cases in local and regional areas, um, and then further providing safety measures to follow. So either in the form of a link or again, an attachment. Specifically, one observed campaign starts off with a message masquerading as an official alert distributed by the CDC Health Alert Network. But with only about five to seven minutes of our um, 15, 20 minute podcast, I think the big main point is simply if it makes headlines, it makes good fishing lines or lures, but lures didn't rhyme with lines. So I had to make it rhyme. Hey, but, um, way to manipulate language to rhyme for your purposes, Jen. That's a, <laughs> that's a good way to go. But I know you, you hit some really great points there. I mean, certainly NCOV is being used, you know, to, to threaten people in different ways. Um, you talked about, you know, Kobe Bryant, the tragedy that affected him, his family and others. Um, and, they, and bad guys do try to manipulate our, our feelings and our emotions. Fortunately, Dave and I had our feelings removed about 20 years ago, but uh, we understand that's, that's a very real challenge, right? Taxes, absolutely timely, as you mentioned. Um, it is identity th tax identity theft awareness week, so people have to look, look out for that. Um, the impeachment, we, we saw concerns about that. Last week, uh, Vade Security uh, reported that we're seeing the, the reemergence of Ashley Madison extortion threats, right? Because nothing gets people to uh, listen and comply more than the chance of public humiliation and shame. And Ashley Madison offers all of that for, for bad guys. So you're absolutely right. Hot topics, uh, embarrassing topics. The adversaries out there looking for any way to get us to click, uh, respond, send some Bitcoin over, whatever it is we can do uh, to help them and hurt ourselves. So a lot of real challenges. Dave, is there anything that we're, we're missing in this? No, I mean, Jen nailed it. I mean, it's really, I mean, it, it's really like, X event happens, count two days, and, and you should expect to see these things happen. I mean, it, it's almost a predict, as she said it, it's a, it's a predictable pattern by now, and, and we've got to start, you know, the awareness is getting better, but it, it never ceases to amaze me the different ways that these guys come up with, um, you know, these schemes and these these hooks, lines, and fingers. And Jenny, we've got to put that on some sort of poster or something. We've got to get that, your, <laughs> your, uh, your phrase out there and get get that out there for sure. Guys, thank you. I think, I think it's important, you know, and as, again, as we look at these threats, sometimes I, I almost feel uh, bad when, when we look at these things and sort of try and contextualize them and look at them from a, 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 a big picture perspective. But obviously for those who are directly impacted and suffering and their families, whether due to tragedies or health outbreaks or it is, uh, certainly our hearts do go out to them. And, and uh, you know, at the local personal level, these are very serious, very catastrophic things that come up. And um, we, we certainly want to do anything we can to minimize those threats. But moving past 
the human threats moving past the individuals being targeted uh, by malicious actors out there. We see all sorts of uh, concerns. And I want to just draw a, a brief moment of attention to a report that came out this week. Uh, ZDNet wrote about um, a, a good post from SonicWall. I was going to read the first part of their, their post earlier today. Hackers are actively searching the internet and hijacking smart door building access control systems, which are using to launch DDoS attacks, distributed denial of service attacks. And this is, this is not a clever or particularly new threat, right? We, we've seen the adversary leverage um, exposed technology to, to, to manipulate them for their own malicious purposes. But it is, it is increasingly easy with a number of network devices in a facility of any kind to find uh, opportunity to conduct large-scale DDoS attacks and weaponizing buildings and other infrastructure. And that's, that's a challenge and a concern as more and more things get plugged in. It's a concern for our places of work. It's a concern for our smart or not so very smart homes. Jen, is this, is this something new, something we're worried about? Is this something we should be uh, really concerned about? Or what's happening here? No, you hit the nail on the head. It's certainly not new. Um, the, you know, uh, building access control systems are usually lumped into the Internet of Things uh, category. Uh, and where was it? I saw that the S in IoT means security. I might, I might have said that on the last podcast. I can't remember where I said that, but... Um, it's clever enough to use twice. That's okay. <laughs> thanks. Uh, but if these building access devices are, and other Internet of Things are left exposed to the Internet, uh, they are searchable. There are publicly available search engines for you know, uh, folks like me and you to uh, security researchers to the bad guys. Uh, search engines like Shodan, Census, and even Google can be used to discover these particular vulnerable and albeit unsecured, uh, you know, unsecured devices. Um, and then these vulnerabilities can be leveraged to launch further attacks. They can either enslave these devices specifically to be a part of a larger um, distributed denial of service botnet. Um, or if these uh, building access controls are not segmented or isolated properly from the internet or internal devices, they can use these devices then to gain a foothold within an organization and move laterally into the internal network, such as the business enterprise network, or worse, if it's an industrial organization with industrial control system networks. Um, some building access systems, particularly older ones, are not able to be patched, making that segmentation and isolation of these systems from other internal networks and especially the internet even more imperative. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I think, I think you were speaking to this, right? Whether we're talking about health threats or talking about our new uh, high speed and exciting doorbells and cameras and speakers, uh, both of them come back down to basic proper hygiene, right? Do, doing the right thing and paying proper attention and keeping things in a healthy state uh, following basic good hygiene practices uh, keeps us out of hot water, both from a, a physical health standpoint, as well as from a, a security standpoint uh, in our buildings and homes and in other places we may frequent. Uh, I just want to, I know, I know we're getting close on time. I, I can't end this podcast without turning back to Dave and offering you a chance to talk about any of the many violent events, the terrorism threats, our, our white supremacist threats, so many exciting topics to talk about. Dave, is there any other physical security concern you want to touch on today? Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, nothing particularly calling out. There's been a lot of good articles out there, though, and, and I encourage people to get out there. I mean, obviously, we had the, the London uh, stabbing attack over this last weekend, and I, I think that's, 
I think that's more a, a symbol of what's going to be occurring here in the future. And, and you saw, you know, AQAP, you know, claim the, you know, the Pensacola shooting from early December, and you saw ISIS make some claims of responsibility around it. These groups are, are losing their, their power because they're so focused on just trying to stay, you know, stay as a unit, as a group. However, their ability to influence, as we noted on the, the first podcast, their ability to influence and to, to encourage and to provide some data over emails or even some loose communications, that, that, that's where their strength lies. And so that's where I really think it's important that we're, as, as individuals and organizations, we're really being tuned on or tuned into what's going on in the workplace and what people are searching for, what types of reading materials they're looking at, because that's where we start seeing those initial indicators of, of maybe potentially moving down a, a path of, you know, hostile events or radicalization in some form. So, you know, there's been no grand, you know, we don't see any grand threats and we don't see any um, big activities planned or, or have been uh, occurred lately. However, these smaller ones, and, and they're just as effective because they, they cause fear and they cause panic and they cause people to want to be, you know, a little nervous as their day-to-day -day surroundings. And I think, again, one of the themes we've been really talking about is just that increased awareness, whether it's an email we receive, whether it's walking around the street, whether it's, you know, doing our, our health, you know, our health and welfare stuff. I think these are just good, prudent habits to be in, and I don't think that's a concern, um, but I think it's just a good posture to have on our day-to-day -day life. So um, I, I guess I'll just end with that part. You, you touched on things quickly there, and there's there's so much I want to jump in and dive into. I think you you talked about the pathway to violence. You know, some of your comments sort of alluded to uh, potentially insider threats and, and ways we can monitor and be aware about that. So many interesting towards along those lines of the past couple of weeks. And I heard a phrase last week that I, I really liked that I'll have to say for another day, but I'll leave you with the thought of salad bar terrorism. And I'll come back and explain that on one of our uh, upcoming podcasts. But guys, I think we're going to end it there. Thank you both so much as always for your keen insight and perspective. And thank you to the listener for letting us contribute to your ideas on security awareness. Please dive into our website or contact our team for more on Gay 15's threat-informed and risk-based approach to analysis, preparedness, and operations. And please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or any of the various podcast locations you may be using to listen with today. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great day, and we hope to uh, be a part of your conversation next time. Yeah, thanks, everyone.